going to do what they say can't be done. <laughs> We're going to jump into Daniel chapter 2 tonight. And from Daniel chapter 2 uh, begins uh, the Aramaic section of the book of Daniel from verse 4 to chapter 7, verse 28. And uh, as we look at these things, we're going to see these ideas come up again. Daniel chapter 2 is going to set the groundwork for Daniel's prophetic work. And we'll see that again when we get to Daniel chapter 8. So uh, our comprehension and understanding of what Daniel has going on is going to come forth from this. So he begins... In Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So he had a bad dream and it bothered him. It bothered him so much, it says in verse 2, so the king commanded the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to be summoned to tell the king his dream. So he calls forth his wise men. And the wise men were in a variety of, of uh, um, categories, magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, soothsayers, and Chaldeans. Chaldeans probably was the top, the priesthood over the other uh, sections of the wise men who were learned in the ways of the Babylonians. And all of it is through all kinds of uh, demonic activity, searching for wisdom and understanding in a variety of things to try to comprehend the mysteries of life that were around them. So they're all gathered together. And it says, and the king said to them, I had a dream. My spirit left me and I'm troubled to know the dream. So the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream. We will show you the interpretation. Okay, well, tell us what's going on and we'll describe it to you. So the king said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb. Your house is laid in ruins. If, but if you show the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and honor. So... Show me the dream and its interpretation. So King Nebuchadnezzar has decided if what you guys do is real, then you'll know the dream. They say, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. That's how most things work, right? But the king says, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So if you can't do it, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a bad temper. You're going to see it again before our journey with him is over. He had a bad temper. So he said, look, I'll, I will reward you well if you do well. And if you can't do what you say you can, then I am going to tear you limb from limb. So the Chaldeans answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. Here's the key point. The key point is no one can show it to the king except the gods. Only the gods can answer this question. And their dwelling is not with flesh. They're not here. So because of this, the king was very angry and furious and commanded, commanded all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. 
I don't think those guys in the throne room made it out. So I think the hack and slash started right then. And it proceeded until Daniel gets word of it. The decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them too. Now as we look at other things that King Nebuchadnezzar does, you're going to see restraint is not one of his capabilities. Right? He killed two of his soldiers when he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He killed two of his soldiers because he said, heat that furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been. And when they got close to it, they died. So you have substantial hothead in King Nebuchadnezzar. He knows what he wants. He wants it how he wants it. And that's all there is to be said about it. So we pick it up in verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. So this is a guy coming to kill them. Uh, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Well, primarily because the king's mad. He's mad. The wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. The wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. He's lost his ever-loving mind. He'll do that again later too. Then, so Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Here's what's up. So Daniel went in and requested to the king. Now, this is why it was important when they picked the initial exiles to go to Babylon, picked um, of, out of the nobility those who were able to stand for the king. That means they picked men who had the confidence to stand up, and most people don't want to go talk to the king. Oh, everybody will sit in their living room and say what they would say to the king. But nobody is like, I'm going. But Daniel was like that. When they chose from the Hebrew youths, they chose men, it says, men who were able to stand before the king, who had countenance. They were, had grown up in nobility. It didn't freak them out to talk to royalty. So Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar. I assume Nebuchadnezzar's fuming in his throne room, and maybe it's a little messy in there from the guys who were in there earlier. So Daniel goes to the king, and he says, uh, he says to the king, um, well, let me, let me back up. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariok, the king of the uh, captain of the king's guard, who was going to kill the men, and he declared to Arioch, why is it so urgent? So Arioch told him, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel says, <clears throat> I think I can, I can uh, answer your decree, but I need time. So Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his friends, his companions. And he told them to seek the mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So they gather together and the first thing they did was not sit down and, and draw up a business plan. The first thing they did was to come together and pray, to seek uh, understanding from the God of heaven. 
It says in verse 19, so the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season, removes kings, sets up kings, <coughs> gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. So Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they go before the Lord in prayer. God gives Daniel the dream. And he gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream. And the first thing Daniel does is not run to the king. What's the first thing he does? He praises God for the answer. Now, he's not been delivered yet. And if you know anything about Nebuchadnezzar, there's not ever a guarantee with that guy. So he's, but before he does it, he praises God. He praises God for his character, the character of God. He says, you are a God of wisdom and might. He praises God for his sovereign control. Remember last, uh, last time we met, we watched uh, a little video on the concept of Daniel and the idea being no matter how it looks, God is in control. He has not lost his grip on whatever is taking place in the world. His control, Daniel talks about his ability to change times and seasons, to remove and set up kings and kingdoms, and that ultimately he's the giver of wisdom and knowledge. And we'll see that uh, him build on that idea in just a moment. He prays God for his comprehension. He says, yeah, you are able to reveal to me the deep things, the hidden things, because there is nothing in the dark for God. It's all in the light. There's nothing that is hidden from him. And then he prays God for his compassion. You answered my prayer. And so he praised the Lord for making known to him this, this thing that was going on with the king. You're going to notice in the life of Daniel as we go through Daniel that this was a pattern for Daniel all the way through. Problem is presented. Daniel goes to prayer. Then Daniel goes to praise. Then Daniel goes to action. We should probably have a comprehension of that. Usually our pattern is different. Problem is presented. We go to action. In the midst of our action, we realize I haven't prayed. So then we pray that God will bless our action. And then we never quite get to praise because there seems to be a high level of chaos surrounding us. Perhaps we should realize Daniel, presented with the problem, goes to prayer. Then goes to praise then he goes to action. It says in, in verse 24, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. So if you would picture it today, it would be like he's the chief guy who's about to say fire. And all the wise men lined up. They're ready to, to put to death all of them. And he went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. 
Now, there's a, several times we go through, Daniel, I'm going to ask you to think about this. Why did Daniel stop him from destroying the wise men? Those wise men weren't seeking the Lord. They're calling out to demons in the darkness to answer their problems. But Daniel doesn't say, kill them and keep me. He says, don't kill them. He says not to kill them because this is in keeping with the attitude that we will uh, that we will see in Daniel all the way through. Rather than taking life, Daniel wants to focus on giving life. Rather than taking life, Daniel wants to focus on instruction. That same group of guys, the same group that are later on going to pass a law that he can't pray, and they're going to throw him to the lion's den, that same group of guys is going to become the magi who are going to seek out the baby born in Bethlehem. And they're going to do that because of the instruction of Daniel. For Daniel's going to be made their chief. Just think about that and our attitudes in our world with all the craziness around us. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. So Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. So I just want you to understand, the king's mad. Nobody's just lollygagging. <clears throat> Nobody's just, you mess this up. What do you think happens to Arioch if he does this wrong? What happens to Arioch if he comes in there and the king's like, don't bring me this moron. I told you what to do. So you need to kind of put yourself into what's going on in the story, how, how uh, vital it is that, uh, that they're able to appease this king. So he brought him, and listen to what Ariok says. I love people who like to take uh, credit. Do you see Ariok taking credit? So he said to the king, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man that will make known to the king the interpretation. Or did you? Because you were around looking for somebody, right? I think you were looking to chop off his head. But nonetheless, there's never a shortage of people who will take the credit for anything. I found among the exiles one who will make known. So the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Remember, they changed Daniel's name. Remember, they're trying to change his culture, change his attitude. But Daniel stayed focused on obedience to the Lord. So he asked him, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Now, Nebuchadnezzar will know if he's wrong. Some people teach this and they say, Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream, so he wants somebody to tell him what the dream was. Nebuchadnezzar didn't forget nothing. Nebuchadnezzar wants to know how to say, is this interpretation right? Well, this interpretation may be right if you're able to tell me the dream before... I tell it to you. Let's see. So he asked him, are you able to do this, to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Now, I want you to, to look at the difference between Daniel's attitude and Arioch. So Daniel said to the king, no wise men, no enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king 
the mystery the king has asked. No one can do what you've asked, king, but there is a God in heaven. And Daniel's going to, in his many years serving Nebuchadnezzar and the other kings that come, Daniel will be a witness to the God in heaven. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, they will see reflected in him that there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the last days. So he's told you, O king, the things that are going to take place. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. So not only does Daniel know the dream, he knows what was going on in the king's head before the dream happened. You're wondering about how's this all going to wrap up? How will these things end? But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. So Daniel's not saying it's because of me. I did something. I, <clears throat> I found this in a book or because I studied this particular rabbi or that particular rabbi or I, or I spend this many hours in study. No, he doesn't say that. He says, not because of anything within me. I have nothing more than all the living. But in order that the interpretation may be known to the king so that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel presents the God of heaven. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, the image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you. Its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thigh of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. <clears throat> then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. About this time, I think, King Nebuchadnezzar has calmed down. And he recognizes that Daniel has laid out before him the dream that he had, but he wants to understand what does it mean? Have you ever had a dream and you wanted to know, is there some meaning in this? It's interesting because there are somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred events dealing with a dream in the Bible. How many times does God have to show you speaking to people in dreams before you think God can speak to you in dreams? 101? 100 times. When uh, Kathy and I were in the Marine Corps and uh, we're going through all of Jackie's debauchery God spoke to my wife in dreams and told her what I was doing. She didn't catch me somewhere. God told her in a dream. 
I remember sitting down in the living room and Kathy coming to me and said, I had this crazy dream last night that you did such and such. And I go, man, I don't know if I can hide these things from God. What it told me, I don't, in that conversation, I don't think, I, I certainly did not confess. Nothing came of it. I told her, oh, you just haven't drank too much pepperoni last night. But the dream was not for Kathy. The dream was for me. For God to say, I see you. Even if nobody else knows what you're doing, I know what you're doing. The Lord will speak through dreams, even to a pagan king. Nebuchadnezzar worships other gods. Nebuchadnezzar could not give the slightest wahoo about Yahweh yet. You'll see that attitude change by chapter 4. And you'll see little glimpses along the way. But Daniel is going to be able to, again, help him greet the God of heaven by his attitude and the way he conducts himself. So Daniel says, this was the dream. Now I will tell you what it means. So he goes on. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven <coughs> has, listen, given the kingdom. Now, if Nebuchadnezzar really took that to heart, chapter 3 wouldn't have happened. Chapter 3 is going to happen. If you don't know chapter 3, just come back next week. We'll talk about it. Chapter 7 wouldn't have happened if he really believed that. So he's not convinced of this statement, but what is it that, that Daniel said in his praise of God? You're the God who does what? Raises up and takes down kings. You're the God. You allow the things you allow, you bring to pass the things you bring to pass. You are accomplishing your purposes. And so Nebuchadnezzar was one of those purposes. Do you know that the Bible... Uh, I want to say it's, it's either Isaiah or Jeremiah. Uh, one of those two prophets says that God is bringing Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Isaiah 45 does the same thing with Cyrus, who's going to be the king of the Medes and the Persians. And God said, God, God named Cyrus 100 years before he's born. So he says, I will bring my servant Cyrus. And Cyrus is going to turn the children of Israel loose that they might go back home again. So the point of this is, doesn't matter what it looks like, God is in control. Now that doesn't mean people develop a fatalistic attitude when you start talking about this. God's in control doesn't matter what I do. Is that true? Did you read that somewhere in here? Did it matter what Daniel did? Daniel could have just not got up that day and not done anything and everything would have turned out the same? No, Daniel, Daniel responded in obedience to God. God is in control and we are to be obedient to him. Walk in obedience, do what he's asked us to do, 
do follow his commands laid, laid out before us. We want to be men and women who are responding to what God is doing. So he says that God in heaven has made this known to you. He has given you the kingdom. He has given you the power. He has given you the might. And he has given you the glory. And into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is going to struggle with the kingdom he has built. But Daniel says, God gave that all to you. Well, Nebuchadnezzar did it. He got up in the morning. He went and, and did what was in his heart to do. But it was God who brought about the increase that Nebuchadnezzar had. So Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. <clears throat> Verse 39, another kingdom, what's it say? Inferior to yours will arise after you. This is a key point. We have this tendency to believe our civilization has achieved things that make all those previous civilizations look like a joke. What did God say the next kingdom was? Inferior. What about the third one? That was inferior to the second one. What about the fourth one? That was inferior to the third one. We've had how many kingdoms? And yet in man's arrogance, we're pretty sure we get better all the time. We think we're increasing. We think we're figuring it out. But he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you will arise, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over you. So you have the chest of silver, the belly of bronze, the head of gold. Each one depreciates in value. While each one depreciates in value, each one increases in brutality. Well, gold will bend. And each metal going down to the legs of iron gets stiffer. Stiffer necked and stiffer necked and stiffer necked. In verse 40, he says, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it will break and crush all these. So each kingdom gives way to the next kingdom, gives way to the next kingdom. Verse 41, and as you saw the feet and toes, partly of uh, potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. Some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron, partly clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. Now, we all gathered here today tend to be of a particular eschatological viewpoint. So when you read that, you're automatically thinking of the fourth kingdom legs and the fifth kingdom feet. But he never said that. One of the challenges as we study scripture is to let it say what it's saying before you decide what it means. 
Are you with me? Now, there are reasons why we'll say that, but there, you're not going to find them here. If we want to comprehend and understand those things, then we have to be students of the word who want to know, want to be challenged and say, I want to understand why do we, why do we think these things? Because if you read the natural flow, you have legs of iron, and what's he say? It's going to crush all these. And as you saw feet and toes, this kingdom is going to be partly strong and partly weak. There are some interesting questions that we need to uh, talk about. It says in verse 44, and in the days of those kings, which ones? The ten toes? In the days of those kings, the kingdom of God will come. That's what he's describing. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. I want you to read these words. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Is there an end date to the kingdom of God? No. No end date. The kingdom of God shall what? Never be destroyed. I take it on the chin because sometimes I... <clears throat> I will lean toward metaphorical rather than uh, literal. So all my literal friends who bust me in the chops for being metaphorical, it says the kingdom of God will never end. Now, if you know me, you know where I'm going to go. Because in Revelation 20, it says the kingdom of God will last for a thousand years. And I'm going to say that thousand years doesn't end. The kingdom of God will never be destroyed. Listen to this. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another. What happened to the head of gold? It got left to chest of silver. It got left to body of bronze. It got left to legs of iron. What's the kingdom of God? Does it get left? No. How come it never gets left? Does the king ever die? Does the priest ever die? Do his people ever die? <laughs> no. It is an eternal kingdom. It does not pass away. And it shall break into pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand, how long? Forever. Everybody tracking with me? <laughs> it shall stand forever. Verse 45, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what will be after this. The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. What's the interpretation? The kingdoms of men are temporary. How many of them? All of them. The kingdom of God is eternal. There will be a day, right, when the kingdom of God. Now, I have friends that I don't completely agree with who will say 
that the stone not cut out with hands came in the time of the ten toes. Ten kings of a divided Roman Empire. That Jesus Christ was born during that time. That he came, he died, and what did he say when he walked through the earth? He said, the kingdom of God is coming in a couple thousand years. What did he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, he also said the kingdom of God is not yet. Because wherever Jesus is, is the kingdom of God. And one day his feet will sit on this earth. And the kingdom of God will be right there. But these friends of mine would say when Jesus was born, he destroyed the kingdoms of men. And now we await the establishment of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And Christ will return. Now, we may disagree. I just want you to understand it's a viable interpretation of the text in front of us. Just because it's not the one we're familiar with doesn't mean it's not viable. Now, when we come to the text, we see divided kingdom, two legs, east and west of the Roman Empire, uh, Roman Empire, the Roman Empire is not conquered, it just fades away. And we look for a revived Roman Empire that will come built around 10 leaders. We're going to see this described when we look at the beasts. And the reason why I think this is the interpretation of Daniel chapter 2, you'll have to wait for Daniel chapter 8 for. Because we want to let Daniel tell us. Right? No assumptions or assertions. Let Daniel talk. We're going to see Daniel have another vision about beasts that's going to parallel the statue we see in Daniel chapter 2. Only in the beasts, there will be a fifth one. And that's why we divide the feet from the legs. So, we want to be able to understand the reasons. Why do we do this? Because you'll sit down next to somebody and they'll say, show me in Daniel chapter 2, and you won't be able to do it because it's not there. Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you how much of the counsel of God. Yeah, the whole counsel of God. All of it matters. All of it is important. All of it we want to study, we want to know. Now, just in case you're not fully convinced on the eternality of the kingdom of God, I'm going to give you a few references. Daniel chapter 4, verse 3. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. Daniel chapter 6, verse 26. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. Those are the Daniel references to the kingdom of God lasting for how long? Forever. Micah 4, 7 says, And the lame I will, I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. How long does that sound like? Forever? Are we okay with that? Forever. 
Here's one, because I know we all like to, to hear Christmas ones at Christmas time. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. <coughs> the angel speaking of the child that was to be born. He will be great and he will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Which throne is it he sits on? David's throne, right? Is that over an earthly kingdom? It is over an earthly kingdom, right? He gave to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The kingdom of God does not end. It will not ever stop. His kingdom is eternal. The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. So what happens to Daniel? So King Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. So now they're making offerings to Daniel. <laughs> this same king that was going to lop his head off, you know, a, a couple of days earlier. He's on the ground. Most powerful man in the universe at the time. On the ground in front of Daniel. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings. A revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. So listen, the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Here's the important part. And chief prefect over all the magi. Made him chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Kings from the east. They saw his sign in the heavens. And they came and said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Why would kings of the east be looking for that? Why would the wise men traveling from the east, why would they care about any of that? Daniel. So Daniel was their chief. Daniel made a request to the king. And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. So Daniel is going to be given rulership <coughs> over the whole province of Babylon. So the king makes Daniel the ruler of the capital. That's a big deal. And he makes him the head of all the wise men. So when the wise men later on are, are scheming to have him fried for prayer, don't forget that part. So we have this, this attitude from the king. He wants to honor Daniel. He wants to lift Daniel up. Now chapter 3, all these things Nebuchadnezzar said are not going to stick. You guys ever known somebody where all the stuff you said to him didn't stick? Like just last chapter you were saying, he is God of gods and the Lord of kings. And next chapter, I'm going to build a statue of 
gold. Why? What's he saying? In the statue of gold. In the statue of the dream, what was gold? The head. And then it kept depreciating. You remember? So he builds a statue made out of all. What's he saying? My kingdom will never end. Oh, is pride a problem for Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, is pride a problem for us? So God's going to get him, right? God's going to get there. When we look at this section from chapter 2 through chapter 7, we're, we're going to see a, a structure in writing, in Hebraic writing, called the chiastic. And the point of the chiastic is to point. Chiastic is a pointer. Like you'll have the first chapter, chapter 2, and chapter 7 are going to be similar. And chapter 3 and chapter 6 are going to be similar. They, they have similarities in the story, similarities in the stories. Where are they pointing? They point to the middle. What's in the middle? Chapter 4. What happens in chapter 4? Oh, Daniel's going to... Chapter 4 of Daniel is written by a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that weird? So we'll, we'll kind of try to unturn and, and muck our way through those things. But the point of the structure is to point to, here's, here are here the first uh, <coughs> seven, six, seven chapters. Are, they're going to be focused on the activities that went on in Daniel's life. And they're going to be focused on taking a king that was full of pride and bringing the king that was full of pride down to a relationship with the God of heaven. And then he's going to go on and give us the prophecies afterwards. So if you want to understand the second half of the book, you have to understand the first half of the book. And that is, there is a God in heaven who knows what's going on. And he has a plan and a purpose. And all of history is moving to a conclusion where the King of kings and Lord of lords will rule for how long? Forevermore. Amen? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. <coughs> we can study your word. We can, I pray, be challenged by the things that uh, the book of Daniel lays out for us, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a, a heart, a desire like Daniel, to say, man, I want to know the things. God, I want to understand your, the deep things. You are a God who does not dwell in darkness. You dwell in light. And you have given us everything we need. So, God, I just pray that we trust you. It doesn't matter how it looks. God is still in control. God is moving God is working. I may not know how it all comes together, neither did Daniel. I may not know how you're going to accomplish the things you're going to accomplish, but I don't need to know the how, I just need to know who. There is a king, the God of heaven, who is God of God and Lord of lords, who will rule and reign 
who will put wickedness down once and for all, who will provide righteousness for his people, who will make a new heaven and a new earth, whose kingdom will never end. God, we thank you for you revealing who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. And in our little storms in our lives that each of us individually are in, may we remember the stories of Daniel that say, I don't know how this is going to work, but I know God is moving. I know the plans that he has for us. They're good plans. Not leading to our destruction, but to establishing his kingdom. God, I pray that you be glorified as we set our eyes and our sights on you. In Jesus' name, amen.